of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 544. Jason Lingren is with me, and Michelle joins us from Michelle's Healing Home. Uh, today, we're going to primarily talk about remedies, plants, tinctures, uh, everything in between. If you haven't noticed, a lot of people are taking interest in holistic things, remedies, plant-based medicines. Uh, there has been a real resurgence here to the point where when we did our episodes on the Recaweg remedies, uh, we got endless reports of people interfering with delivery, which by the way, in this country is guaranteed uh, from a Senator way back, I think it might've been the thirties who ensured that we have free access over the counter to such things as Recaweg remedies. Anyhow, welcome Jason. Oh, and a lovely day. Good morning. Yeah, I, I thought we were past air conditioning weather, but we are not. It's actually pretty hot here. Uh, my friend in Michigan says it's extremely hot. But anyhow, welcome, Michelle. Hey, thanks for having me. Super excited to talk with you guys today. Why don't we start where we should start? Tell folks how they can get a hold of you. If you have a website or other things you'd like to make known, please do so. Sure. So my project is called Michelle's Healing Home, and my website is as such, michelleshealinghome.com. I have a running blog there. I also have uh, my full moon offering newsletter, which comes out every month on the full moon, where I offer small batch artisan creations of the herbal sort. So that's the best way that people can follow me and know what I'm offering. I also have a YouTube channel, which is um, Michelle's Healing Home with a weekly show, which is called The Healing Home every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. All right, let's jump in here. You know, I recently saw a thing. I'm always fascinated by the old school medicine in places like China. And I saw a young doctor in training. I think this might have been filmed in either the late 80s or the early 90s. And part of his training was to go out and know the plants and to harvest the plants. And uh, I was wondering how in the heck do we ever convince people to let that go for uh, complete Western medicine ideas? But let's jump in here about taking your health into your own hands, which I think a lot of people are doing these days to the extent that they can. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that there's a huge movement towards that. And it's actually really cool to see because when I first started studying herbalism, which is about 10 years ago, it was 2013 to be exact, um, you know, it wasn't actually like that quite yet. So within the last decade, you know, which is not that long of amount of time to see this acceleration towards that is actually really encouraging. Um, and the more people that I talk to, the more people that come to me with questions, I see this need for uh, people like myself, people like you guys who are also exposing this information to people to show people that, hey, there's other ways to do this. And there's a plethora of people out there who are doing this work as well. Um, and I think that it's it's high time that people start to have more faith in themselves and in their body and in the creator and in the earth, that all the things that we need to heal are either within us or around us in a very uh, close range to where we live, really. That's one of my biggest fascinations with herbalism in general and the world of plants is that nine times out of 10, the things that you're needing in your life probably grow within five feet of your doorstep, if not closer, really. You know, one of the things in the film that I 
was telling you I saw that has always fascinated me as they got in past this novice in training. He wasn't actually a novice. He'd been at it a few years, but he was still considered a novice. And actually in, in the part of China they were in, it was commonplace for people to not want young doctors. They wanted the old doctors because of the experience. But I've always wondered about, you know, you see the dried lizards and everything. Yeah. I get the herbal medicine part of it, but that part's fascinating. But to take it back around, the novice who I think it was six or seven years, he'd already been in training as a doctor. Uh, he had not yet been allowed to go out on his own to make the rounds, but he was harvesting all the herbs and plants in his area. And one of your first bullet points here says that herbal medicine is practical medicine. But I think there was a time not too long ago that probably my grandparents could have remembered when a lot of medicine came from herbs specifically. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that's, you know, that's one of my biggest fascinations as well, is that looking at this from a historical standpoint, I, I do believe that our ancestors and ancestors of all cultural uh, background knew that this was the case, that the earth provides what we need. And I think that's one of the things that people are starting to see. I think there's a there's a resurgence of this. Um, there's also a resurgence of people wanting to tap into their ancestry and find out some of these traditions. You know, I always think about the simple things that my grandmother even still to this day reminds me of, you know, something as simple as onion syrup, taking a white onion, chopping it up, boiling it in some water, boiling that water down and adding honey. And you have a wonderful cough syrup. You have a wonderful immune boosting uh, syrup. You have a circulation booster that's going to help move stagnant energy, move your blood, move lymph. You know, the simplest of things can be profound when it comes to healing your body and what's going on and also preventing things. And I think that's one of the biggest things to keep in mind with herbal medicine is that one of its best um, attributes, in my opinion, is that it's, it's about preventative medicine. So we're wanting to keep ourselves in a state of health so that we're balanced and we're not having to take such extreme measures you know, you know, you go so far over where you're having to um, go more extreme, whereas the herbs keep you in this this just world of beautiful balance. And I find that there's something to be said about that that's really profound, and it, that's medicine in itself, really. You know, when I was young, I had grandparents in both Michigan and Rhode Island. I think they may have met once, but there was a commonality in their medicine chests. They had these things like mercurochrome, both places, iodine, cod liver oil, castor oil, and other remedies that I don't even remember, but you don't see that stuff in use at all. And just recently, I've gotten back to castor oil. Uh, what I was told when I was a kid is it grew in San Diego, that that's poisonous. Don't mess with it. That's the only thing I was ever told about castor oil. And now I'm getting quite impressed with it. But to pull back over to your bullet points, are you of a mind that the average person has plants that are beneficial as remedies or herbal supplements of some sort, like growing right in their yard, right in their garden, or even as weeds? Oh, yes. hundred percent. Definitely. I mean, I'm just even looking out my window right now, you know, and I'm I'm seeing 
I'm seeing plants that could be useful for something. I mean, even grasses to a certain extent have, have medicinal value. There's a still, you know, shockingly enough, even though dandelions usually come up in the spring, I, I literally see a dandelion right now because we're going through this new warming. There's warming energy coming through right now. We're having warm weather. So these uh, dandelions are, are popping up yet again, which is really interesting to me. So when we watch the cycles of nature, we're watching the cycle of medicine come up and every season has different medicines that come up for different reasons. So going to dandelion, for example, typically we're seeing this in the spring because most people know dandelion is a great detoxer. It's a liver herb. So it's going to help stimulate the liver, stimulate the digestion of fats that may have been stored over the winter. It's going to boost you up, give you some energy. And these are the things that I think are really important to tune into. And I think that just the simplest way to start is to just literally tune into the seasons. And I think our ancestors were very, very much into that because a lot of them were farmers. A lot of them were gatherers. A lot of them were hunters. So they had to work by the seasons and they had to make sure that they knew what they were planting because their survival was dependent upon their action. And that's still true today, but I think that we have so many more modern conveniences that are great on one hand, but they've also kind of put a lot of people into this place of dependency that's taken them away from their ability to understand that there actually might be something right beside you that you're not acknowledging that could be more helpful than the thing that you bought at the drugstore down the street, right? Well, things like dandelion, you know, we've had other people, that's a fantastic, I look at it totally different. First of all, I was told every part of it is edible, first of all, and that is an amazing and easy to get food source if it gets tight. But let's talk about some of the common things like where I am right now, sitting, looking out a window, I can see Queen Anne's lace, goldenrod, I can see dandelions. Are you familiar with any of these as uses as just me randomly naming things that are mostly considered weeds here? Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, specifically, the goldenrod uh, comes to mind because goldenrod is such a strong ally for me and has been specifically this year. And the goldenrod, it's kind of past its blossoming stage here where I'm in uh, the Pacific Northwest. So it's gone to seed already. But when it's in its glory, there is medicine while you look at it, you know, just looking at it. So we can go into something known as the doctrine of signatures, which I know that you guys have covered with Kyle of Tippy Canoe Herbs, who is a great friend of mine. But when you look at goldenrod, there is the yellow color of the flowers. So right away, we're going to urine. We're going to bile. We're going to uh, the flushing out of things. So one of the common uh, uses for goldenrod would be for urinary tract issues, bladder, uh, wanting to flush the system, getting things moving. It's also a kidney tonic. You know, it's also used for allergies. It's also used for this time of year to uh, gather for tea to dry so you can have it throughout the winter to help you stay healthy and kind of keep the system moving so that you can probably help maybe prevent a cold or a flu that might come on during the winter while you might start to detox or something like that. The Queen Anne. So oh, go ahead. Have, oh, I'm sorry. No, I want you to go because you're about to talk about the Queen Anne's lace, and that grows absolutely everywhere around here. And I've always wondered. Uh, I haven't looked into it. W what would you do with Queen Anne's lace? 
Oh gosh, <laughs> I'm so glad you brought up Queen Anne's lace because I really, really love this flower. I love it for so many reasons. The beauty of it alone. It's also known as wild carrot. So uh, before carrots were cultivated, you know, this was not necessarily a carrot that was harvested and and eaten. Although you could, if like you said with the dandelion, if things got tight, you probably could. It's nowhere near as sweet as the cultivated carrots are, but it could be a source of food if you needed something sparingly. But mostly, you know, a lot of times the Queen Anne's lace is actually used as a contraceptive. Actually, it's one of the herbs that can be used to um, not necessarily for an herbal abortion, but basically if there was uh, if you were wanting to avoid pregnancy, you can use the seeds of Queen Anne's lace, but also um, it actually can help boost fertility. So that's one of the things you learn with herbs too. A lot of times they have both qualities. So it will depend on what time uh, in a woman's cycle that she's using it. So if you were trying to get pregnant, you would want to be incorporating the seeds in a different way than you would if you we're trying to avoid pregnancy. There's also um, on more of the esoteric level of that plant, I find it to be a plant of the firmament, actually, if I'm being honest, because when you look at the shape of the flower, it's known as an umbel. So it makes like an umbrella shape. And when you're looking at the growth of Queen Anne's lace, when it's in its glory and it's in its full flowering, it has this curve to it. It has like a dome shape. And when you look on the underneath side of it, each there's like stems that come from, they're called umbels. And so each stem that's protruding from the actual base of the stem, it's kind of like it looks like a starburst. And that is something that I find really intriguing about it. And as the Queen Anne's lace starts to go into seed, it starts to close in on itself. And one of the other names for it is bird's nest. Because when you start to look at it as it's closing and it's going into seed, it creates what looks like exactly like a bird's nest. It would be perfect for a hummingbird because it's so tiny. And I feel like that kind of shows you that closing up even of the womb or closing up and protecting something. There's something very special about that flower and it can be used ornamentally as well. I find it to be great as a tincture when it comes to the seeds. The seeds can also be chewed. The seeds can be uh, made into tea. And I would just always recommend people doing their own research before they do anything with anything, really, and make sure you ID it because it has a very close resemblance to water hemlock, which most people know is highly toxic and can kill you literally if you were to use a knife <laughs> to just cut like a piece of it. And then you maybe use that knife later to cut an apple and eat it. That could be enough to get you. So there are definitely, definitely identification is very crucial with that one for sure. So I would definitely caution people before they do that. So it's crazy how much of that stuff grows around here. It's truly beautiful. And in a minute, I want to readdress the doctrine of signatures so people can remember, because if they go to Wikipedia, I'm pretty sure they'll be told that it's pseudoscience. But to come back to Queen's, Queen Anne's Lace, I play this game where I look at plants as I'm taking my daily walks or going down to the beach to pray and meditate, and I try to surmise what the frequency or vibration level of a plant would be. And I've done this with Queen Anne's Lace. It's very pure white, but it is super complex and intricate. All the little tiny flowers. It's interesting that you equated it with the firmament, 
But do you ever think about what I'm trying to explain? You know, what the vibrational level is it a really high frequency plant? Like, let me try to go at it this way. You know, the, you know, the, oh, what's it called? It's the one with the purple flower and the spikes on it that gets you. Oh, a thistle, milk thistle. Yeah, it, it's, but it's a thistle that's invasive here, but it is the most beautiful plant. It gets taller than me. And it is my idea that that must be a super high vibration plant because of all the complexity and everything. Anyhow, do you ever think about the plants in that way? Do you ever consider? Yes, definitely. I'm so glad you went there. And that's so cool that that's that you do that because I think that that's one of the keys to learning plants better for yourself and having a map of them in your own mind and in your own vibration. Because I find that plants really they run on vibration just like we do, you know, and there's a beautiful moment when you see a plant and you get the feeling or the inkling that you should go up to it and sit with it or just tune into what it has to say. And I've been blown away (laughs) at some of the huge downloads and connections I've made with plants literally just by doing that and and acknowledging their frequency, acknowledging actually how they want to be used. And I find it's really awesome to be able to, when you're making medicine with a plant, to sit next to the plant as you're making that medicine. So you're almost, you're building a stronger relationship with the plant when you do that. And you're also showing the plant like what you're doing with it. And I think that it appreciates knowing and seeing, even though I feel like they have kind of like this all seeing um, ability that they know that if you're harvesting it with intention and you're taking care and things like that, um, and you give thanks to the plant, you're having an energetic vibrational exchange right there. But I think it just adds another layer when you sit with the plant, make the medicine that you're wanting to make, give thanks to it, and then tune in that way. And I find that, you know, as you bring up the white with the uh, Queen Anne's Lace, the color really says a lot about the vibration of the plant, in my opinion. And so the white just being purity, uh, clarifying, there's that energy. And then I always think of purple plants, like, like when I think of lavender, lavender is actually... They say they say rose and lavender are kind of like some of the more um, higher vibration plants. Which two? I'm sorry, which two? Rose and lavender. Okay. And I don't know exactly how they measure this or whatever, but if you do research on this sort of thing, or if you just specifically do research on rose, shout out rose, <laughs> um, you will find people talking about this, that the rose vibrates at such a high vibration and it's one of the highest vibrating flowers that there is. And then lavender is like a second to that. And so lavender being purple, you're kind of also working with that crown chakra energy. So again, like you noticed with that thistle that's really high up in the air. So it's like, it's high up there for a reason there. It's catching up. It's catching something up there, you know, and bringing it down to the earth so that we can harness it as well. And so a lot of times um, the lavender is associated, you know, with obviously calming and, and usually like the head and the neck areas of the body. We're working with stress and bringing stress down and managing stress. And so it's, it's always really interesting to kind of look at the color of the plant. And then you can match that even on like a color spectrum, you know, and kind of go go into that. And then even on another level with the chakra system and see how that kind of correlates. And I've seen a lot of crossover with that kind of thing. 
So that's where I start because of things I've read from people like Paracelsus. I don't remember who said it, but there was that one quote that I always use over and over the idea that you cannot heal the human body unless you give it something that it needs to build itself or something that it is already made of that would be used to build itself. And in other words, it's basically stating you're going to need the appropriate things from nature. But color is where I always start. And I want to get your impression if you think this is how I do it. The color is first for me. And I have an idea from all that I've read that there was a time when guys or girls, when or women went out into the garden and they said, oh, it's this color. Look, it's got this kind of complexity, this many petals. And within just that cursory glance, they already had a good idea of its vibrational rate, what part of the body it might be used for. And for people who have read Salts of Salvation, that fold out shows the human body rolled over the Zodiac, but they include all the colors. That's kind of what I'm referring to. So my point being, when I see the color, usually the way that I try to deal with it is I think to myself, okay, there's a blue. Was black added to that blue to get the blue that I'm looking at, or was white added to get the blue that I'm looking at? If I feel like white would get me that blue, if I was making it with, say, crayons or something, paint, then I know it's going towards the more purity side or the positive pole of the battery. The other thing, to take an example like maybe a cannabis plant that's, you know, budding, the complexity, and you look at the leaves, there's so much complex geometry. And from cymatics, I've learned that the higher the vibration, the more complexity you get. And the more pure that frequency the more well-defined the complexity. So do you think that everything I've explained is an appropriate way to go at it? Oh, yes, most definitely. And I find too that, you know, the more complex uh, sometimes a plant appears, it could be a valuable remedy for a more complex ailment, you know? And, you know, ailments have ranges from, you know, a cough to you know, major complications with major organ systems that might need something that's going to be more potent or more complex. So I think that most definitely, um, and I love where your mind is going with this and uh, Salt of Salvation as a book has been uh, such a pivotal and pinnacle resource for me because I love connecting, you know, the Zodiac with these things too, because as, as some people know, you know, the plants also have zodiacal correspondences as well. So there is so much going on and there's so much to gather and there's so much to connect. And then, you know, we can select remedies based on our Zodiac these signs as well, you know? And so that's the other way to look at it as well. And I always think about the dosage of plants too, and um, how important that is. Because sometimes a smaller dose is more profound than a bigger dose. So one drop of tincture versus two dropperfuls of tincture, the one drop can sometimes move way more energy than two dropperfuls. And I think that that lends credit again to that energetic frequency medicine that we're talking about. That's the Recoag rule. Most people, like when you are using Recoag and you're, you're creating, you know, and you're diluting, most people think, well, I've diluted it. Now it's less powerful when in fact the opposite is true. Yes, totally. And I mean, and then you have the homeopathy, you know, which is kind of in that same vein. 
And I personally have had such profound experiences from literally taking one drop of a flower essence, which is even further diluted because it's not, you know, you're just with, with a flower essence. If you are, uh, are you familiar with flower essences? I am. I, I mean, I've never made them or anything, but I am familiar. Yeah. So, I mean, you're literally taking the essence of this flower. You haven't even compounded it. <laughs> you haven't, you haven't soaked it in alcohol or in oil. You've literally just floated the, the flowers on top of distilled water and covered that, you know, and then left it in the sun. And you're just literally picking up the energetic vibe of that flower, those energetic qualities. Then, you know, typically I like to leave that vessel of water um, in a, you know, in a clear glass bowl next to the plant that I'm working with. And so you're picking up the energy of that living plant. You're picking up the flowers that are absorbing the sun. You're picking up the energy of the sun is going into it. Uh, maybe uh, a rain, maybe rain comes through. You have your vessel covered. So you're getting the vibration that the rain is putting on to the uh, vessel that's covered, almost making a drum. So you're getting that calming essence of the rain that's added. And then you're taking that and you're making a mother, a tincture with that or a mother essence. And then you're taking so like 50% alcohol, 50% distilled water, and you're literally taking drops of your mother essence into like a one ounce bottle. So it's diluted so far so that it's it's an essence instead of like a tincture or something that's heavier. Um, and then you can use that as such and taking like one drop of an essence um, has brought up emotions for me that I didn't even realize that were there that were tucked in, you know, it brings up a memory. It brings up maybe something pleasant. It brings up your relationship with the plant, you know, all these things just come through. And I think that that's one of the strongest medicine of the plants is to be able to dig deep um, with just a little bit. And sometimes even just sitting next to a plant, you know, like we were talking about earlier, tapping into that frequency, sometimes just sitting next to it, not even ingesting it can bring things up. And sometimes even just writing the name of a plant down and sticking that piece of paper in your pocket, you know, you're charging that energy, you're strengthening that relationship as you're um, just even thinking about the name of a plant. I think a lot of people would dismiss this, but doesn't the work of Dr. Emoto basically serve as the foundation that demonstrates that what, what you described with the plant essence could basically be Dr. Emoto goes outside and goes natural for a day, right? It, yes. It's, it's no, it's no different, but it, do you agree? So I don't know, it was maybe two years ago and I was thinking about bees because we'd done a bee episode not too far behind. And there's this claim that the bees are from a higher so-called dimension or however you describe. I think it's usually referred to as the fifth. But then I read a short time later that when you smell a, a beautiful flower, that is a link to a higher dimension. I think they say fourth, but I don't remember. Do you have any experience with that? Do you think there's anything to it? Yeah, definitely. And I love the bees. The bees are wonderful. And uh, we actually had we had the pleasure of having a hive last year, but found out that the climate here is just not not conducive for them. They didn't like it. They took off, actually. <laughs> they swarmed twice. It was kind of it was actually a pretty incredible thing to witness as much as it was a bummer to see him go. It was something other otherworldly, other dimensional, uh, as you say, you know, something from another dimension because the the vibration, the sound, the sight of them swarming puts you into another state of mind. Um, just like 
doing that same work with a flower or a plant or like taking the leaf of something that's bitter even, you know, that's the first one that always comes to mind and putting it in your mouth and just being floored <laughs> by how bitter it is. There's a plant that um, is called Spalanthes, also known as toothache plant. And that is one of, not only is it a pain reducer for, you know, as, as the name states, as for teeth, but it's an immune booster. And uh, the first time I grew it was a couple years ago. And I was so intrigued by it. And one day I just sat next to it and I'm looking at it and the flowers look like teeth. Uh, it's crazy. I, I highly recommend everybody just look up Spalanthes or toothache plant. It, it, it's like it looks otherworldly. The little yellow one with the dot on top, like a black eyed Susan dot on top. Yes, totally. And sometimes it's called buzz buttons because if you eat one of those uh, flowers or just a leaf, the sensation you get in your mouth is it's hard to describe. It buzzes, it's numb, and it put me on my butt. <laughs> I honestly I had to I had to sit down. I was like, oh my God, I've never felt anything like this. It it numbs your mouth, but it's like this blast of just this buzzing sensation that you get. And I literally I was like, wow, I'm just gonna sit down right next to Spalanthes and see what comes through and what really came through was just the potency of this plant, how little it took for me to be like, whoa, that is something incredible. And now I keep Spalanthes tincture on hand at all times because it's one of those first aid remedies that no one wants to go through dental pain. No one wants to go through pain of any kind. But most people who've experienced dental pain know that it's some of the worst you can experience so having something like Spalanthes on hand, you know, can be really helpful uh, for so many reasons. And as I said, as well as for the immune system. So if you're really feeling something heavy come on or you're, you're trying to, you know, get rid of the remains of a flu or a bad cold or something, you know, Spalanthes can come in and literally buzz and shake your body and, and wake up your immune system to the point where things are going to start moving and you're going to notice it and you're going to feel it almost instantly. Is that used uh, by the pharmaceutical industry for anything since it seems to be so powerful? I think it is. And the small amount of research I've done on that level of it, I do also know that it's used cosmetically as well. I guess they've recently realized that it has some effect on the collagen of the skin and the production of collagen, which I think lends credit to, again, like that buzz, that that poking of of the systems that just like to to stimulate it and go. So um, I can't 100 percent say that I know like what pharmaceutical drug uses it or, or whatever, but I would imagine that they are utilizing it in many ways. You know, they are because it's known for uh, skin aging as one of the primaries, but it's antibacterial and antifungal. So it's commonplace when you're making things like cosmetics that might get used, well, not like, probably not like, you know, mass marketed ones, but it is antibacterial and antifungal as well. Yeah. So it's, a, it's an all around wonderful plant and it kind of, um, it's hard to grow in certain regions. Like I grew it, uh, like I said, a couple of years ago, it grows as an annual out here where we're at and we're in zone eight. So if you have cold, wet winters, it's going to be an annual, but if you're in uh, warmer climates, uh, you know, more, more tropical, even 
you know, it grows really well and it'll be a perennial and it'll grow large. Um, it's kind of stays low to the ground, you know, but it will grow out wide. Like a, it can get kind of bushy, you know, if, it, if you let it go. So yeah, that, that's when I highly recommend people get to know a little bit better and you can even make an oil, you know, you can make an infused oil. And so, like you said, you're having these antibacterial antifungal properties. So you can make salves and oils for skin. And that's, that's a definitely a, a number one first aid. I would recommend for anyone to have on hand. It's actually an, I just looked it up real quick. It's actually an aphrodisiac. There's a ton of things that this plant gets used for. It's also, I feel like there is a lack of information on it in the herbal community, which is kind of interesting to me. You can find blog posts on it and stuff, but I've, I have rarely ever seen it like in herbal books or something like that. So I almost feel like, uh, you know, there's a calling <laughs> uh, for for more people to know about it and write about it or share their experiences with it. Because uh, when it comes to being in the written word, there's not as much on it, really. And I learned about it just being a gardener, you know, and and learning learning about it from an aesthetic even uh, standpoint as well, because it is very intriguing. It draws you in with how it looks. It's really cool. So I, I want to get back to the doctrine of signatures because it absolutely, the idea gets defamed. And again, uh, some years ago, I saw guys out in the Amazon talking to people who lived there uh, and had seen very few Western people uh, using this. It says, look, you see this plant where the leaves look like lungs? Well, that's what we use it for, lungs. But before we jump into the doctrine of signatures, let's just touch on frequency for a minute because I want to give the example of like my wife loves those crystals that you hang to get a rainbow. You know, you hang them in your window and it refracts light and gives you a rainbow. But I see all that stuff differently now. Like when a certain one does it and it lays this perfect rainbow on a white wall, dead center is the green, which is the heart of the rainbow. But what I've come to comprehend is I've been reading studies that show that is within that scope of green where the audio scale and the visual or light scale line up perfectly. And I think, don't quote me, but I think it might be on the beneficial frequency of 528 that it does that. And when you start to think about this, it starts to inform you why the world is green, right? When you go out and things are growing everywhere, it's like that is the heart, the dead center. Uh, the heart chakra is green uh, and all these things. I just wanted to put it out there. For people who might, you know, have rainbow devices in their windows or other things, when you look at that, think about it. And by the way, reference uh, reference the book we were talking about, Salts of Salvation, because of that wheel that includes their idea of where the colors would be, which is basically informing you about frequency. But having said all that, let's just redo the doctrine of signatures so people are aware of what it is and they can look into it. If I'm not mistaken, it gets associated to the to the one guy everyone's heard of, Galen, historic Galen, and the other guy's name is Dioscorides or something like that. But let's talk a minute about the, the doctrine of signatures, um, because everyone that I know that, that is interested in herbs, herbology, and remedies, they appreciate the idea. But if you look it up on Wikipedia or anyone else, they badmouth it all day long. 
Yeah, this is a great one. I love I love this topic. And another person to look into with this uh, topic is Matthew Wood. Uh, he is he's one of my herbal teachers. He's he's like just one of those standout people where he's such a plethora of information, but he really understands the doctrine of signatures on such a beautiful level. So he's another one, um, you know, more of a current herbalist still practicing, uh, but he's kind of one of the OGs in um, more of the uh, herbalist community when it comes to doctrine of signatures. But when I first learned about it, it was actually through Matthew and it made so much sense to me and it resonated really deeply because first off, I was like, well, yeah, that makes so much sense. How couldn't the plant itself be a map? of what it's helpful for it. it the, the plants basically, in my opinion, they want us to work with them. You know, they're here for a reason. So they're giving us signals all the time. You know, like we we're talking about the frequency, uh, they flash us with their flowers. They draw us in, you know, they, they, they intrigue us with their scent and they're also going to show us what they could possibly help us with on our, on, on a body level, emotional level, you know, you, you name it spiritual. It's all, it's kind of all there. So one of the first things that I always think about is the flower, because most people are, are observing the flowers. They're the, the first thing you kind of see. And even like the, the amount of petals that a flower has indicates something, you know. So I always think of five. The five petaled flowers typically are either associated with Venus or they're also associated with Saturn. So there's, there's definitely some stuff going on there. So depending on what the flower is, you can look at that. So if you have a five-petaled flower, you're going to then maybe reference Venus or Saturn, look into the qualities of these planets and see what aligns with that. The color of the flower, as we're talking about, matters. But, you know, also the shape of the plant matters. Where the where the plant grows is also a doctrine. Um, you know, if you're working with something like, I think of nettle. Nettle's a great one. So nettle likes to grow uh, near water. Nettle likes to grow uh, in partially shaded areas, you know, so it likes to be cool, but it likes to get some sun. And nettle is famously known as a, it, sting, it can sting you, but that's it's a stimulation and it can be a stimulation of stagnant energy. So if you're thinking of like maybe it being next to a river, okay, uh, the river flows. The river uh, hopefully is consistently flowing. And when you look at that, you can almost apply it to the nettle of going, okay, this is what the nettle is going to do for my internal waters. My internal waters are going to be moved with the nettle. Um, and, you know, you can go through all sorts of plants and look at it like that. And I think that that's one of the cool things about it too, that it goes beyond just the shape of the leaf or the shape of the stem. It's, it's also its habitat. And when it, you know, what time of year does it pop up? That That's also considered a doctrine as well. You know, the doctrine was appreciated by some pretty heavy hitters. Paracelsus was into the doctrine. Uh, I think if I remember correctly, he said something to the effect that nature intentionally marks each plant to help indicate to us what it's for. The people that were either under the aegises of the early Catholic church or um, were part of the church that were doing herbology uh, would say things like God made the plants this way to show us how to use them. But again, it's currently thought of as a pseudoscience and as so much is, and I have seen recent, recent real life human beings that have said things like the guy in the Amazon, look, 
that leaf looks like a lung and that's what we use it for. And he's basically telling these guys trying to figure out how to make drugs. That's why they're in the Amazon, that it's not a coincidence that it's that way to indicate what it's for. And I could see where you could run into trouble, but I've also read, and it's kind of fascinating. uh, You touched on it. Each plant in your garden is typically associated with a luminary. Actually, most of the ones I always end up growing are almost always sun plants, I noticed lately. But I was reading an argument between two herbologists about whether this plant was this luminary or that. And it was fascinating because of the way they were going at it. But I don't think most people realize that when you go into an herb garden, for a real herbalist, each one of those plants has been assigned to a luminary. Can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, definitely. And that's that's one of the cool things too. And and I think that there's also like flexibility in this as well. You know, there's the correspondences that you'll read in books that are usually, you know, repeated correspondences. So one of the first ones that I think of is I'm I'm going to go back to Saturn because Saturn is is one of my luminaries that I uh, really appreciate. But comfrey, so comfrey is is ruled by Saturn typically um, because it uh, goes it's a bone remedy, it's a skin remedy. So when we're looking at Saturn, you know, and Capricorn, you're talking about the bones, you're talking about the structure of the body, you're talking about protection as well, which our skin is one of our greatest forms of protection. And so comfrey being the way that it is, it provides this mucilogenic property that's quite profound. And it's one of those plants that if you were to injure yourself, even if you were just in the garden, let's say you accidentally cut your yourself while you're trimming whatever you're trimming and you have some comfrey right next to you, you can literally grab a leaf of that comfrey, chew it up and put that as a spit poultice right onto that cut. Not only is it going to protect it, because it's not necessarily like an antibacterial herb, but it's going to act as a Band-Aid until you can get to an area where you have the ability to cover it with a bandage or gauze or whatever you want to do. But it's going to almost create this like gel-like substance, which is is that mucilogenic property I was talking about. It's almost like a second skin, you could call it. And um, most people know comfrey is uh, one of the folk names is knit bone because it's just known for its ability to heal bones and teeth very quickly, more quick than, than a sprain or a a break would heal on its own. If you're using comfrey oil or a poultice, you know, as you have a sprain or a break, you're going to notice that your bone actually even heals stronger. And that's actually been kind of proven by people who have done it and gone back to the doctor and the doctors are going, oh my goodness, okay, this healed up real fast, faster than it should have. And it looks and appears to be even stronger than it was before. And I know bones already do that on their own, you know, that's like one of the properties of them, but the comfrey just adds that extra layer of everything. And uh, to the um, to a nod to the doctrine of signatures on comfrey, um, when you look at the flower pattern of comfrey, it literally makes the spiral of life. It is the Fibonacci s- sequence right there in your face, the way that it that it unfurls. The flowers are typically purple and it has that spiral of life in there. And I feel like that also is a nod to Saturn as well, of just like kind of just showing us this spiraling of life, this constant change that happens. And this plant being such a nutritious 
plant having so many uses that it's like a universal healer. You know, it's one of those plants that if you had to pick one, um, you could you could probably really get very far with a lot of ailments with comfrey. There's so many things about that plant that's wonderful. I don't think most people are aware. I think cannabis basically most of the time isn't that thought of a saturnine, a Saturn herb. But I've seen people arguing about it that it's dual. Do you know how would you classify cannabis? Would you call it Saturnian or what is it? Is it Uranus? Is Uranus the other one that they're trying to pile on it now? Well, I I definitely always correspond cannabis with with Saturn, definitely. And I find that there's this dark night of the soul kind of thing with cannabis. Anyone who's consumed cannabis and then maybe even consumed a little too much knows <laughs> we go to a place that uh, makes us question life. <laughs> and so there's that Saturnian energy. And I definitely always relate it to that. Personally, I look at uh, Mercury as another correspondence for cannabis because of its ever-changing energy that kind of goes on. I find that sometimes cannabis hits you on a different a different way. Sometimes it's a little tricky. Sometimes you don't know what you're going to get. So I think like, in my opinion, there could be a mercurial aspect to it. And I find too, the mercurial thing with, you know, being a psychopomp as, as mercury is, cannabis has the ability to take you to these places in your mind and in your heart where you do start to, you open up a little bit more, you know, whereas Saturn can sometimes be, that's the container, right? It's containing us, it's keeping us safe. But I think Mercury and Saturn together with cannabis, to me, makes sense. I don't know. How do you feel about that one? Yeah, I mean, I do. But I, when I started reading, well, first of all, when, when they get out to Neptune and Uranus, I feel like almost everyone, or every time I read about it or talk to someone, that we're not quite there yet because everyone's saying something different and some of them are starkly different. If we pull back into the seven luminaries from the classic, um, I would absolutely say Saturn. I see why you're using the Mercury idea. I'm not sure I've seen it associated, but like if I was to say to you just some common herbs out of my herb garden, would you have an idea of their planetary association? I might. Yeah. Okay. So like basil. Ooh, good one. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> You're not sure. So, no, well, I'm not. I actually, I was going to tell folks that I just did a quick lookup. There's a book on planetary herbology, which is open to everybody on archive.org. This fascinates me because when I learned about it, I realized that it was important and that many of the herbs that I grow, like I grow, always grow rosemary, always grow uh, oregano. Do you have an idea for an oregano? Oregano, I don't. We can look these things up, but but what you said in the beginning is you will see differing opinions now. On some of them, you don't. I think it's almost across the board. Most people would agree cannabis is Saturnine. Things like rosemary, they're, they're sun plants. But you see, what people don't realize is everything under the sun was given a planetary dominion back in the day by the people that I have been so fascinated with. And I think that's kind of where you're heading, where we're heading. Like it would even probably be to the point like a quartz rock. Well, that's attributable, you know, it's quartz. So it's this planetary, this type of animal, this type of tree, that's how it was. And the reason I think it's important is because I think when we get to a point where it starts to be common knowledge that this color is this frequency, uh, these notes in this music, this note is that frequency and they correspond 
So when we get to what I was pointing out, when you look at a rainbow from a prism and you see that dead center green and you recognize that it is claimed that is where uh, visual frequency and audio frequency line up, and I am pretty sure it's 528, but I would need to look it up. Then you start to see the universal correspondence. And when you and I are talking about herbology, isn't that really what it's all about? There was once a universal system and there were some real adept men and women who could literally wander into the garden and just by a glance know so much more than we do now. And, you know, by the time they got going, Lord knows what they might have done, but we're coming to the top of the hour. Can you um, please tell folks one more time where they can find you? And we're going to take a short break and come back for hour two. Yeah, definitely. Thanks again for having me. I'm really loving this conversation, by the way. Um, Michelle'sHealingHome.com is my website. So you can find me there. You can contact me there. You can sign up for my newsletter there as well, uh, which comes out once a month on the full moon. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube, Michelle's Healing Home, where I have my uh, weekly podcast every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'm also on Instagram as well. And uh, yeah, I just encourage people to sign up for the newsletter for sure, because that's the best way to keep in contact with me and know the products I have available. You'll also be able to find an online store on my website as well, where I have staple products like deodorant and tooth powder and soap and shampoo and and then the uh, Full Moon Offering newsletter is like more of my specialty, very small batch stuff that's made with herbs and plants that I grow myself. So everything is just curated in a small batch. So it's very special. And I really love making medicine in that way because I find that you're able to just put so much intention into it when you're doing it in small batches. And that's something that we don't find, you know, when you're going to, um, you know, big box stores or even sometimes the natural products that are sold at, at bigger stores, you know, they're, they're still made in very big batches, which isn't always necessarily a bad thing. But I think when you're wanting to connect to some of the things that we've been talking about, small batch is the way to go. And to be able to do that on your own as well is very important. And you can find recipes on my blog and in my newsletter as well. That'll help you to be able to create your own remedies yourself. So the basic thing you touched on has been what I feel is one of the big change points in my life. It's been decades now since, well, in, in San Diego, it got to a point where they added the fluoride, but I had already been actively avoiding fluoride, making sure I wasn't drinking the water, uh, not using all the chemical shampoos, not using all the chemical soaps. And it's been decades now. And I think that was a foundational benefit to me. Anyhow, that's the top of hour one of episode 544. Uh, we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back with hour two. Hour one is free to everybody at crow777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W 777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full two-hour episode. Members get access to all the forums. They can create forums as well. They get access to comments under every episode. And of course, they get free access to the two-hour film called Shoot the Moon that covers all my telescope work over roughly half a decade, something like that. Night and day, it has 10 awards so far. With that, we're going to wrap up, take a break. We'll be right back. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing.